Welcome to A Cuppa for the Soul. I'm Sue. And I'm Trish. And we're so delighted that you're joining us. Today's episode is for the restless and the skeptical. So we explore first experiences and expectations and how we move towards a sense of self-love and acceptance. How intention behind meditation is critical. We explore how those experiencing depression and self-criticism can benefit from mindfulness practice and bringing a sense of curiosity into that experience. And we look at the evolutionary biology behind the negativity bias. And then we focus on a simple practice around gratitude and look at the science behind how mindfulness helps treating depression. Looking forward to this cup of us all. So just following on from our last chat, I think it would be remiss of me not to talk about my first time practicing, like doing a proper formal practice where I wasn't sitting just with my own mind for five or 10 minutes. So, so Sue, tell me what a proper formal practice looks like. What does that actually mean? So I suppose in this sense, it was, there was an element of it being guided. So I was to follow this process. Um, it, the practice itself was called the inner smile and to follow a process of being yeah being guided through it being guided through practice i'm not sure if that is the the right answer in totality and were you sitting or lying or standing or running or i was lying down at the time um yeah i think i was lying down the first time i did it and i remember kind of getting into it and going is this it like is this it am i meant to be feeling something in particular like the essence of the inner smile practice is to smile to your body and to the organs and there's a little bit of a complicated bit at the end imagining you know energy moving around in a circle i was i think that quite threw me in that i was like i can't feel any energy what's all this you know (laughs) so lots of judgment that whatever i was experiencing should be different to what actually was happening um, and that somehow this was, I was meant to be floating on a cloud and all Zen-like um, as a result. But I just, I think I found, I think I had such a, an expectation that the practice itself was going to change my experience that I wasn't really kept touching in with my actual experience at all. I was so in my Isn't head. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? But here you go. You commit the time and the space. You lie down. You follow this guided practice. You're expecting to wake up as somebody else having had a wow experience and actually nothing special happened at all. And you're wondering, hey, what, heck, what, what was that about? Yeah. Instead of, like, and I'd say it probably took me, I'm going to be honest, uh, possibly a couple of years <laughs> to come to the realization, ah, it was just to be with the smile. Like it was just <laughs> like, okay, I'm kind of remedial at this. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, it's fortunate I've been at it for quite a while. I'm a slow learner. But um, yeah, like just to be with what is the feeling in the body when you smile to it? Just as simple as that. And that in itself changes everything. But not with the expectation wow. of change. Isn't isn't that it? It's like to be willing and curious and open like a child is the first time they pick up a daffodil or a dandelion and they're like oh my god versus this expectation that something magical and mythical is going to happen and all of a sudden i'm going to be like enlightened you know but isn't this 
do. Isn't this the essence of where, in a way, we've come to it the other way around? Because you, you said you were all in your head thinking mm. and you couldn't feel something, whereas I'd have been full-on feeling and run by my emotions and the, the logic missing. And mm. when you're saying, you know, the experience of it coming to a daffodil or a daisy for the first time, it's like, if you're, if you're present, you're looking at this miraculous structure of form and color, wondering, wondering how on earth is this here? Mm. And if you're in your head, you label it, it's a daffodil, it's a dandelion, so what? Because mm. the head doesn't engage, it thinks. Yeah. It thinks, and part of the, part of, well, part of what I love about what I have today is being able to move between the two, that there's more fluidity. Years ago, I remember when I was doing my, 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 first, my first degree in psychology and I was part of a tea group in the days when there were tea groups, the, not as a cup of tea, it was an encounter group based on Carl Rogers stuff. And I remember getting some really strong and probably fairly harsh feedback as a 20-something-year-old about how I was all in my head and I could say the right words, but people didn't feel that I meant what I was saying. Mm. And that kind of was a real belly punch to get in a public space with peers, students mm. from your year, daring to do it with somebody who probably wasn't qualified, actually, to lead the group. So it's something that has been a key thing for me ever running groups is making safety and real respect. Because even if somebody is full on in their head, that's where they are, good, bad, or indifferent. It's, it, this is what it is. Um, and so what I'm getting from hearing you describing your early experience of is this it, is this is how we miss our life. Yeah. Our expectation is that it should look, form, be, experience, smell, taste, move in a certain direction. And actually, often it's quite simple. I mean, dear old Jesus said, it's easy. My yoke is easy. And it's easy to be here, but it's very difficult to be here. Yeah, the practice is, of to, to simply be here with the breath or the, the awareness of the body in itself is simple. The challenge is it's really difficult to remember to stay here. Because the mind keeps pulling us off into the future or the past or to some expectation or judgment that something should be another way. So it's really difficult to kind of just be with, this is how my life is in this moment. Good, bad or indifferent, but this is how it is. And not This is my life. Yeah, this is my life. Yeah, This is me. The essence of the experience is the person that's, having the experience and to be like, it's so difficult to be accepting of yourself. You know, all of these things that we want to change about ourselves and yet the very simplicity of just being with yourself and loving and accepting yourself as you are is a, it's a lifelong task. Being enough. Mm, being enough. Being enough. I remember saying this, I'm sure when we were chatting around New Year, I am jaundiced when I get my inbox and late December, early January of a million different notions of how to be the best version of you. Mm. Oh, yeah. And yes, I get the sentiment. Of course, they will. as long as I'm breathing, there'll be stuff to learn and stuff maybe I could soften on or stuff I could do better. But I think if there isn't that innate, hey, you, I love you as you are, then we're crippled. 
Yeah. And, and, and it's a bit like for me, the coming into the breath, the practice of just sitting with the breath. Or if my mind is really busy, just sitting with sound and not trying to label sound, just allowing sound to wash by and just experience sound to sound or really experience and savor a square of chocolate in my mouth. There we go. Um, caught by the distraction completely. So, so the peace being, when we get pulled out of this present peace, it's like a floodgate and a torrent. And our whole Western civilization, every cookie and every marketing ploy is used to funnel our attention into that gap and to tell us what we can do and how we can be to be better, to be more, to be something. Mm. And I guess why I'm loving having this conversation with you is because I feel we're dropping into this is what, how it is. And actually, this is great. Yeah. It mightn't be the way I want it to look. But the key is by accepting what is. I think it's like alchemy happens. Mm. I cannot pretend to accept this moment. If I, in my head, kind of go, okay, the kids are driving me crazy. The laundry's piling up in the utility room. I don't like the mess, but I accept it. But it's a mental action. Mm. My body isn't at ease. But if oh, yeah. I can drop down and surrender to okay this is what's going on even as i even as i say the word surrender do you notice my voice drops down mm. i can feel my body drop down as okay we're living in a pandemic we're all home the laundry is piling up because somehow even though we're all home it's been a very full-on time it's extraordinary it's a big project keeping your body fed and healthy and keeping things running and going but somehow surrendering into that Ah, this is what it is. The energy shifts itself. I can't make my energy shift by willing it. But there's some magic alchemy. And it was like when you were saying, ah, oh, is this it? In the meditation. And then years on, it's like, ah, this is it. Mm. it kind of flips. Is this it? Ah, this is it. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. Yeah, it, it is funny how the the expectation that the meditation will fix or change you in some way or help you to deal with the something that is the, the messy floor that's covered in Lego or the, the laundry that's piling up. But, but actually how, when you let go of the expectation, when the intention is different, when the intention is to be curious and childlike and open to whatever comes up without the expectation that it will change you, then that's where the alchemy, I think, happens. That's where ah, the, the spaciousness to really experience what's happening without it having to be some mega bolt in the sky. Yeah, it's little tiny bits. It's a little, yeah. It's, it's little by little, slowly. So, 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 Sue, if I was feeling really down, and if my mind was puddled with depressive thoughts and self-criticism and negativity, and I was thinking, I'm, I'm curious about meditation, but if this isn't going to fix me, 
And if it isn't going to change it, and if you're telling me to accept my lot, but I actually hate my lot, why would I ever sit down to do a meditation? Because it is really, it gives you the skills and the tools to be able to see your life in a different light, to be able to surrender in some way to what is happening and to find the good. We are conditioned, evolutionary biology has us conditioned to seeing the negative and the bad. And we focus on, for the, for the vast majority of us out there, we will look back on the day or the week and we will find the four, 10, 15 things that went wrong in our day. And we will have missed those golden moments of connection, of humanness, of love, of joy, of simplicity. And the practice actually is about training the mind to stay in the present moment and to actually open up to all that is wonderful in this moment because most of us do not live here most of us do not live in the present we are rushing off to the next thing and i'll be happy i can't wait to go like one out on my holidays i can't wait until you know the weekend and i do this i can't wait until work is over we are in this i've eradicated i can't wait from my life um because yes i can wait i'm not two and I need to get that cookie right now I can wait till the weekend and I'm going to enjoy every day until the weekend I'm going to enjoy as much as is possible every hour until the weekend um, but the challenge is that we are rushing onto the next thing we're rushing on to when I meet the perfect man or woman then I'll be happy when I get married then I'll be happy when I have the children when I get the promotion when I move get all of these things at some point in the future I will be happy then and what the practice shows us and what life shows us is that no sooner do we get there than that, that moment passes and we're already setting up the next goal and we never get a chance to really appreciate what we have attained, what we have gotten to. We never really revel in our goals. We're off setting the next set of them. So the practice is about mentally taking hold of this crazy mind that we have, a bit like a horse. It's like we're sitting on a horse and our mind is this horse that has been leading us everywhere in life um and we've never realized we could take the reins and direct where it would go and then we say i don't like my life and i don't like things in my life but we've never actually realized that we can take control and maybe control is the wrong word but we can take the reins of our mind and we take the choice and have the choice yeah have the choice about actually i can choose to focus on what's shitty in my life right now but maybe a different choice is to focus on what's good and there are definitely moments of fear and anxiety and frustration and anger and all these big emotions but there are definitely moments of ease and peace and relaxation and contentment and love and joy and we miss those and i think like i was saying it wasn't it was it isn't about doing the practice to see what will change for me. It's about being open to the practice and seeing what comes up without this desire for, for change. Because the intention is very different then, isn't it? There's a, an openness, a different quality. When you're saying seeing the intention of what comes up, the intention to see what comes up. If I go back to the story of being depressed and squeezed, because I think, you know, I would never have been labeled depressed but certainly I came towards mindfulness because I was certainly overwhelmed I felt like I was not getting above 
uh, a certain little rat run, rabbit run, burrow, whatever description. And I vividly remember finding Kabat-Zinn's The Full Catastrophe Living, which is a tome, and being really excited to read it. And when I saw that there was a practice for up to 45 minutes per day, I had a shouting match from West Cork to Boston to Kabat-Zinn, kind of like, hey, man, I already am not coping and you're asking me to do this as well. How, how, how the hell can I do this? So this was my really low base starting point. Having had a practice for years, but knowing that somehow I was getting mired. And so I think as well as the looking forward to my life will be better when, I think it can also be I'm suffering because my life is down because, and it's going backwards this wasn't right or that wasn't okay or I should have or I didn't. And I think that going backwards can, can lead us into the being pulled down as well, which is where the invitation to being in the present moment is offering a point of infinite possibility, really infinite possibility. And I know one of the things that I used to do that used to squeeze me is I would keep adding more things into my day. So I had to get from A to B in a certain time space, but I'd try and squish in getting the groceries, which would mean I'd be probably a few minutes late collecting the kids and I'd be on two wheels trying to get to the music lesson or whatever it was, this pressure gauge of you could just squish one more thing in. Mm. And so part of what has helped launch me more into the present has been taking things out. Like, no, I'll actually wait five minutes in an empty car, not moving. Mm. If I have to collect somebody rather than, trying to do the impossible task and squish it in because not enoughness. Yeah. So I think part of what has us suffering as humans, part of why I have suffered as a human is A, not enoughness, or B, better when. Yeah. yeah. And the not enoughness is a big gap in, in, in our hearts because actually, like you say, when we stop to what's here, when we tune into what's here. So like most nights I will now have a practice where I will take my thumb and eight fingers. I will count 10 things in that day that I'm really grateful for. It will nearly always start with my absolute bliss is lying down in the dark at night. I love the dark. So it'll start from there, but I will run my mind through nine other things as well or whatever of things that might include having a conversation with you in the day, might include a hug I'll have had from my husband or the kids, might include rubbing the animals. Nothing usually stellar, extraordinary, but deeply rich and nourishing. Yeah, I agree. There's something very powerful to ending your day with gratitude, just to be grateful for whatever small thing, even if it was just the taste of coffee in the morning or... Yeah. The fact that the sun shone on your face or the rain nourished the grass, whatever small thing, it doesn't have to be, as you say, the big, you know, I got proposed to or I got married, you know what I mean? They're just, they're fleeting as just as the other little moments, but we can build up a sense of richness in packaging or collecting all these wonderful little experiences. Um, and it, it focuses, it builds up a, a part of our brain called the reticular activation system, which means that as we learn to focus on the good and the positive in our lives, we actually start to see more of it. So our brains are 
actually trained to a bit like seeking you will find you know if you look for it you'll find it if you start looking for the good if you start looking for that car that you decided you were going to buy at the weekend then you start seeing them everywhere don't you typically um similarly if you start looking for the good you start finding more of it uh, but there's a point i want to pick up on there on the depression piece that you were saying um so if you're depressed why practice because research shows that practices like mindfulness-based stress reduction and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy are actually as effective as antidepressants in treating depression. And that's because we find ourselves having a low mood, um, having a low mood, but typically a mood will, will pass. Everything passes eventually. What happens for somebody that maybe ends up getting depressed is they have a low mood, but they feel, they don't just have that mood, they then feel that it's not going to end and then they start to judge themselves because of it. So now I have this mood and then I'm judging myself because my neighbor down the road has it worse off than me. Why can't I shift this experience or why can't, why can't I deal with what's happening in my life? Somebody else is much worse. Um, so we start judging our situation, which brings us to the place of I'm not good enough. You know, once I judge my initial emotional experience, that I shouldn't be having it, I essentially tell myself I'm not good enough. I, and I'm not okay. And I'm not okay. And that actually pulls us down into a depression, a bigger depression. Whereas with the practice of mindfulness and meditation, we can actually see, ah, if this is a mood, it's here right now, it's a low mood, but it will pass. And if I can stay with this feeling, as opposed to getting pulled down into a whole other set of feelings that tell me that I'm useless, that then make me sleep less, that then I don't eat or whatever it is, then, you know, you end out in a much different emotional state than if you can kind of hold on to the fact that, yeah, the mood is here right now, but it will pass in a number of maybe hours, days or weeks. And look, it's sometimes pharmacology is needed as well. Um, but yeah. We, there's potency you know. in knowing that actually something as in seemingly innocuous as a meditation practice actually has an impact in this area. Yeah. I think one of the other bits that's very, very powerful and very liberating to know is that with the practice, and, and so we started off talking about the practice being watching the breath, Ooh. really just watching the breath coming in and the breath leaving the body. And as we gain a skill with that, because it takes training, it's actually, you know, my, my fabulous 17-year-old laughs at what I find a heavy weight in my hand because he could pick it up with his baby finger. But for me, my muscles have strengthening up to do. So my weight is less than his weight to do the same thing. So by that, I mean, it's focus and training and there's focus and training and attending to the breath. Mm. And when that begins to bed in, we then can expand the skill to watch the thought process happening and so what i mean by that is you're sitting in a space whether you're on your cushion or on a chair or in your bed and the body settles and you're with the breath and then we can turn towards noticing thoughts in the mind mm. so noticing this river of thoughts coming in and going and like you said the depression passes everything passes so a thought comes up and it bubbles off, but often there's a stack of more thoughts coming in. It reminds me of 
the little stands that I get reels of thread from. You pull one out, there's another one ready to slot right back in before you even have it fully out. Thoughts being like that, but when there's a mood or a thought process that's really gripping, having the choice to knowing that these thoughts are not necessarily facts, they're not necessarily true, I don't have to act on it or believe it, kind of puts a buffer between the thought process and the experience. And somehow, for me, there's a real key of liberation in that. But a bit like the alchemy of sitting, you cannot superimpose it. It has to be embodied and met. It is a journey. It is an experience. It's a process. It's a, it's a bit like I can tell you how I love a cup of tea to be a certain temperature, but it's an experience. It, I feel that temperature. This it's an experience to detach from being run by the ever endless river of thoughts. Yeah. And, and, and that's really, part of the practice. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It really is the practice to be able to sit and observe the mind going here and going there and not get caught to pulled along by it and end out somewhere, somewhere else entirely, which is not being present here. And interestingly, like the word, meditate and to medicate the medi part means to cure so when we think about you can meditate or you can medicate and both of them will bring you to somewhere of a cure hopefully but how empowering it is to take that capacity for cure for your own emotional life in your own hands and to be able to to manage this thing the amount of people requiring medication just to get through the day antidepressants anti-anxiety tablets is, is phenomenal um, in a world, in a time when we've had so much at our disposal uh, and yet so much pressure and overwhelm. And no more than you, I arrived at meditation because of my own suffering as well. And, you know, that idea that you could actually, there was something out there that would help you to manage this mind. Like I knew I was getting to more and more places of, of not un unhappiness. So how, how is this, how is this happening? How can I, how can I stop this? Or how can I? And yet I bet if we, were to, if we were to look at your life from the outside, you were scoring well in college. You were going on in your learning. Your athleticism was soaring. So you, on the outside, it would have all looked dandy. Mm. Yeah. And yet inside, there's a, there's a piece of discontentment or unhappiness that Think, just things aren't right. And I know this to be the case for so many people. You, you can achieve, and let's be honest, part of the reason some of us throw ourselves so hard at things to achieve is because of that sense of not being good enough, not feeling good enough. So you keep trying to fill up this bucket so that you then, you know, when I get this thing and achieve that thing, then I'm enough. When I get my black belt, then I'm enough. And I, you know, do all these, you know. When I'm a good enough girl, somebody will tell me, really, I'm good enough, and then yeah. I'll believe it. And this is the bit, this is even a bit like starting this podcast. We can wait forever till we are, perceive ourselves to be good enough. But actually, the essence of it is we are enough already. And that each person is enough already. It's meeting each other and our infinitely imperfectness as humans. And recognizing the humanness in that is, I am not on a fucking pedestal over here. Neither are you down in West Cork, Trish. We are just humans trying to do our best to understand and 
you know, we've both been fortunate to study in this area um, and then bringing it into our lives and seeing how rich our lives become as a result of it. So why wouldn't we want to share it with the world? A world that is so in need of this conversation. There's so much suffering. So there much is suffering. so much suffering. But and I don't mean there always was. Yeah, there was always yeah. suffering. We were just so busy getting on with our lives. We didn't maybe notice. Or pe- I don't mean we as in you and me. I mean the we as in the world. We're so busy moving on to the next thing and the next thing. And, but actually now everybody, bar those on the front line, have to stop and find a way to be with ourselves and to be with one another. And to, we have time to question. I live in. It's a global retreat. A global retreat. With quite a big hand of suffering for a lot of people as well. So big. very difficult and a lot of grief. And it's, it's going to be a very difficult time. It already is. It already is. So why would we launch a podcast on this theme right now? And for me, for me, it is because somehow being able to ground in the present moment is actually less fearful than what the mind can construe, no matter what is going on. The present moment is, the body cannot go to the future. My body cannot run for tomorrow now. I can't eat tomorrow's dinner today. I can't breathe my next breath other than this breath right now. I can't do that leap. And so somehow, what I'm offering with you is an invitation to whoever is listening to just dare right now to feel their back, really their back, because we pitch ourselves forward, going into the future, we're shooting off out ahead in front, feeling our back just in this minute, feeling our feet just in this minute, and experiencing that the essence of what is our being is in the present moment. And we may experience a softening, or we may encounter some modicum of ease by being here and not there. Yeah. Can I bring in a, a short poem that really has been come to mind as we've been having this conversation? And it is called Enough by David White. And maybe we'll end with that. Okay. Yes. Um, enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath, if not this breath, this sitting here, this opening to life, we have refused again and again until now. Until now. Beautiful. Delicious to have a couple with you, honey. Delicious, as always. (laughs) I think that's our jingle. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, darling. Love you, hon. Great. We so hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to get in touch with me, Sue Redmond, you can catch me on sueredmond.com or email me at info at sueredmond.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at sueredmondphd. 
And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email me on mindfulnesstrish at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you.